happy Saturday. I'm sports family therapist, Dr. Lauren Pitts. Welcome back to House Talk Pregame. I am so excited because he's not just Ronnie Ransom anymore. He's licensed professional counselor, Ronnie Ransom. He passed the national exam, y'all. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to House Talk Pregame, episode 120, 120, man. Man, we got a great show lined up for you all. We have a great uh, guest with us today, the windologist, um, as he as he goes by, Mr. Sean Harper. Sean, we're going to bring you on in, in a few seconds, man, and, ha and have everybody uh, get to know you and, and chop it up with us this morning because we're really excited to hear your story and hear what you have to share with us, man. So thank you for taking the time out to meet with us, man. How are you this morning? I'm doing absolutely wonderful here in Columbus, Ohio. I uh, just sat down, had a really good uh, chill time, meditation, brief time, uh, working with this internet. We got it up and going, so let's go, let's win. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, man. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We got a great topic lined up for you all today, man. We were talking about bridging the gap. And, you know, when we talk about bridging the gap, what we're talking about is how do we help our athletes, you know, really become the best overall person they can be as student athletes, as a person, and also post-career. Um, a lot of times, you know, um, when we see athletes, a lot of times athletes struggle with being hyper-focused on who they are through their athletic identity and being the best version of their, you know, selves through their sport. But a lot of times we come some, sometimes we can sacrifice and neglect the other areas of our life, our personal life, our family life, you know, friends and things like that, our professional life outside of our sport. Sometimes we don't give those things the most attention and love and care that we deserve to. Um, so we really want to talk about bridging that gap and also, you know, really helping people understand what it takes to do that and how you can be successful at that. So, you know, we have Sean Harper on this morning because he is a great example of somebody who has learned how to bridge that gap and not only excel on the field, but off the field. So we're really excited to hear his story and everything this morning. Um, before we get in that, we're going to let Dr. Pitts get back on. We've been having some technical difficulties this morning. Um, the internet in uh, Texas and Virginia been a little iffy, but you know, that's, you know, that how it goes sometimes. Um, but uh, before we get into that, Dr. Pitts, did you have any mental health tip of the week or any, any news that you want to share before we go ahead and get started? I, you know, uh-oh, did she freeze up again? <laughs> I, I think she, I think she froze up again. We're going to keep it pushing, man. We're going to, um, you know, let her get her internet together and everything. So, Sean, before we get started into the topic, man, um, so for the people who have never heard of you before, let me just give them a little background about who you are, man. So, um, born and raised in uh, Columbus, Ohio, correct? Yes. Yes, sir. Born and raised in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, for college, you went, went to, to uh, community, community college at first before uh, transferring to Indiana, um, and I, I would love to hear about that journey of going to, uh, you know, the JUCO level before going to D1. Um, after that, you were drafted by the Los Angeles Rams in 1992. And throughout that, you played for the Rams, the Houston Oilers, the Indianapolis Colts, and also three additional years with NFL Europe with the Amsterdam Admirals and Frankfurt Galaxy. After your, uh, after your um, athletic career, You've gone on to start your um, uh, own company called American Services and Protection, a multi-million dollar security services firm headquarters in Columbus, Ohio. Um, <clears throat> outside of that, you've done, um, you've also well-renowned and well-known for your motivational speaking, which just talking to you a few minutes before the show started, I can tell that your enthusiasm and energy when you walk in a room has to be infectious and just, you know, captivating. So, um, outside of that, you've done countless talks for uh, corporations such as Dow Chemical, Northwest Mutual, Beachbody, and Goodwill. 
um, to help them maximize their resources, harness their potential, and manifest their vision. So, Sean, welcome this morning. Thank you for coming on to the show, man. So, um, man, so just tell us a little about yourself, man. How you, you know, how you got into sports, how you got to football, and how you got to be where you are today, man. All right. Well, yeah, like you mentioned, I played about seven years professional football. Well, first of all, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to invest and to pour into your community, your tribe, your crowd, which is huge. Any first time listeners, hey, let's go. Let's win. Yes, yeah, so I played seven years of professional football with the Rams and the Colts in NFL Europe. It had an absolute blast, but I probably followed the most unlikely trail and the course to get there. And that's, I would love for that to be one of the focuses on that is learning how to deal with strife, uh, strange um, situations and circumstances and adversity. I was plagued with it uh, basically from day one, from a single parent uh, setting. My father left when I was around three years of age, physically, verbally abusive. Uh, my mom was left to raise all six of us by herself. And I went off to a you know, regular school, city school in Columbus, Ohio, south side of Columbus, Ohio. And I was struggling since the first day. And I had so much so I had to repeat the first grade. And by the time I was in the fifth grade, I was documented with about four, maybe four, I don't know, four or five learning disabilities, which was really interesting in that time because I was struggling. I mean, I, I mean, I, I really was struggling in every facet of life, but especially education. In fact, I remember I would count the number of students uh, that would read and and I would uh, okay I'm number eleven so I would practice they're all you know, listening to you know some crazy story and I'm practicing all the paragraphs and prepositions and get everything just right because in about ten minutes I'm gonna have to stand up and read in front of everybody and right. one particular day she switched the order Sean you know you're number thirteen said, no I'm number eleven no read this paragraph and I stood up and I'm stuttering because I I stuttered my entire life I couldn't complete a sentence till college and after that meeting the teacher uh, sent a note home and to make a long story short in a few days I'm in a room with a psychologist a sociologist this ologist that ologist all these ologists they're all in the room together and I begin to test for about three or four days at the end of the test mm. uh, I remember the uh, head psychiatrist throwing down the pencil like get your mom in here you know and it's ma'am your son has four to five you know documented learning disabilities this that dyslexia rote memorization what all that just crazy terms just throwing stuff out spatial wreck I don't remember all of it and I'm watching my mom and have and then the social worker stands up we have this type of intervention and this and this and and all of a sudden my mom burst out she stands up she slams her left hand on the table. She looks the doc in the eye and she says, you will not label my boy. It's not going to happen. He's going to make it and he's going to be amazing. And that moment, one of the most powerful moments of my life is that she did not allow the system to handicap me through, if I could use the word labelization or labeling, turning me into right. a victim versus a victor, you know, and, you know, because sometimes, you know, with so many different, you know, labels and diagnoses that we could like kind of like handicap ourselves where I can't achieve right. because this is what's wrong with me. You know, exactly. I can't have this because this is what's wrong with me. She's like, no, you're going to struggle. You're going to fight some, but you're going to make it. And uh, I had some 
behavioral challenges. I was kicked out of you know, a couple schools for disciplinary issues. And I left high school with a 1.62 accumulative GPA, nine on my ACT. Out of 154 seniors to graduate from Independence High School in Columbus, Ohio, my academic ranking was 154. I was voted most likely to fail. Now, in reference to sports, I wasn't even honorable mention or conference. I was the guy in the back that they would hand out, you know, this is your award and this is your participation award, Mr. Harper. And I'll get maybe a couple claps here and there. And the last day of school, I get a phone call from a junior college in Mason City, Iowa. And we want you to come to Iowa to play football. And I'm like, I literally hung up on the coach. I said, no, there's no way. I'm not going, why? Are you going to laugh at me again? But something spoke, something deep. I don't know where it came from. It's like this, go, call him back. And I called him back and we had a conversation. I filled out the student loans and the Pell Grants and my mom loaded up the station wagon and we drove to Mason City, Iowa. And that first year, the first year at that junior college, I sat the bench the entire season. I picked up the phone. I said, mom, I quit. I want to come home. And she's like, no, you can't. And the conversation I had with myself really changed everything. And the conversation was this, and then I'll leave it here, is that, yeah, yeah, I can't be successful. I don't have what it takes to be successful. The world says, this is what you have to have. And I'm striking zeros all the way through. I said, but I can win. And the moment I said that, the, I mean, the moment I said that, it's like I connected with myself at a cellular level. And I begin to see obstacles as opportunities because I begin to see life as win-lose. And once I saw it that way, once I looked at everything that way, I begin to excel. Uh, from there, I uh, made first team all region, scholarship to Indiana University, uh, draft day in the NFL, third pick in the fourth round. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And I carried it over to business and life. And so I'm not on a success track. I'm on a winning track. And I'll just leave it there. Man, wow, man. Thank you for sharing that, man. First of all, I want to say shout out to mom for instilling that confidence and that resiliency in you. When you spoke about, you know, how she advocated for you at the doc, well, at the school after all the assessments and everything, a lot of times, you know, me being a clinician, I've, I found myself in a lot of those um those observations, you know, when you have the school psychologist, the school social worker, the, uh, you know, special ed coordinator and things like that. And, you know, you have these kids who are seven, eight, nine years old. And a lot of times, you know, I always tell people at that age, we don't know how to, you know, express our feelings. We feel them. We can act out. We can do those things. But actually telling you what's going on inside of us is almost impossible at that age. And then you bring up, you know, these labels of, you know, whether it's being ADHD, dyslexic, you know, maybe a specific learning disorder, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, and, and a lot of times people don't recognize that even though kids might not understand those terms, they can understand and read adults and how they express those messages around them and see that, you know, they're labeling, they're labeling me and talking about me in a way that they're putting a limit on me already. Yes. And for your mom, and you're, for your mom to advocate for you and to say, you know, you know, yes, he might he might not be able to read as quickly as this student may not be able to pick up as fast as this student. But guess what? My son's still going to figure this out and do what he has to do. And a lot of times we don't see parents instill that resiliency and that confidence in their kids. For your mom to be able to display that for you and model that for you, you know, in that moment, and I would imagine in many other moments, 
man, that just speaks volumes to even hearing you talk about that today and how you carried that through your career. And even her giving you that kind of pep talk again, you know, in college, like, no, you're not quitting. You know, right. you started this, you got to see it through. Yeah. So basically, <laughs> see it through. Uh, basically, mom is, is, is saying something that needs to be expressed. It's shared, but it's not expressed. And what it is is that, Sean, you're not disabled. You're you are you are uniquely enabled. That you are uniquely enabled to do certain things. Like right. I may have shortcomings in math and this and spelling and the e's backwards and the whole nine yards here, but my superpower is over here that I'm extremely analytical. I can do this. I'm 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 my my ability to be empathic is off the scale. I have this, I have that. And the secret to every parent and anyone, any, any, any professional is to find one or two things that you can do it or, or basically that, that, that this kid can do or this person can do and say, this is your focus. Cause if you change your focus, you change your life. This is your superhero. This is what you're strong in. This is, this is, this is the gifting that God has given you. You have to understand. Now we see it. We see it when we watch superheroes all the time. You know, right. I mean, you know, we have a string, a, a slew of superheroes. Now take away, which is my next point, take away the the actual um, antagonist, and the superhero is a circus animal, or he's a he's a he's a he's an exhibition. But when you put the challenge in front of the superhero, then he or she becomes amazing. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer was horrible until there was a storm, right? And so now check it out. This That's is your point. I like that point. That was a good point. This is how you win. You never, ever, ever see Superman like, oh, my God, I got kryptonite around me. <laughs> He's like... So every, every, every superhero has a set of strengths and a set of weaknesses. And you never, ever hear of a superhero focusing on their weakness. Change your focus, right. change your life. Right. Man, that, that's, that was a great uh, comparison and analysis. And um, if you don't mind me asking, I, I did want to ask you as far as, you know, journey into, you know, a, a teenagehood and adulthood, you know, especially through doing your athletic career. Um, in terms of the uh, episode being about bridging the gap, um, you know, you say you came from a single parent household. Dad had left when you were three and, you know, mom was raising you and your five other siblings. Um, talk about what it was like bridging that gap and having a, 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 a male role model, a male figure as you were growing up. Was that something that you were able to find maybe through a coach or a teacher or something? Or how did you how did you learn to walk into manhood and be the man you are today and bridge that gap? You know what? Honestly, I'm still learning that. You know, I've been married for 23 years and I'm wow. still, you know, I'm still learning that uh, how to just show up as a man, move in masculine energy, not let situations and circumstances yank that up out of you. Now that, you know, there's a lot that's really coming against masculine energy. That's huge. But I tell you what, one of the things that mama did, and, you know, I'll probably get in trouble for this, but that's fine. You know, just send me an email. <laughs> but one of the things that mama did at an early age is that she made me play football. 
I didn't mm. want to play football. I didn't like football. I mean, I liked it a little bit, but I didn't want to play. I want to, you know, I'm a lineman. I don't want to run no sprints and jog around all day in practice and just hot with little dandelions and hay fever. Are you kidding me? I just have nothing to do with that. But in the second grade, I remember her saying, you need to be around other men. I'm like, what? No, I want to eat spaghetti at home and watch the Super Friends. And she was <laughs> get your butter. And I had to walk a mile and a half every single day for practice. And the men, the coaches became my role models. In fact, one of my greatest role models was coach Bill Mallory at Indiana University. These coaches would just, they would show up and they would show up in masculine energy. And it was just like, wow. So the coaches were the role models. I had two older brothers and they were great role models, but she always made sure at every juncture that there was a positive male role model in my life that I could cling to. And that was, man, that was huge. huge. It's, in, it's invaluable. And, and yeah. you know, you having two older brothers and also having those coaches who, you know, made sure they looked out for you. We always, we always tell people that, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. And, you know, especially a man, especially a black man in this society, it takes a village because it's so easy as men. I think a lot of times people don't understand how much as men we seek guidance and we seek that, you know, that knowledge and insight from a man. And when mm -hmm. you have a situation where sometimes, you know, hey, sometimes family systems, they don't always go as, you know, we would like them to. And especially from a kid's perspective, you know, we would love to have both parents in the household and, and things that go that way. But when reality hits, you know, once again, shout out to mom for re having that insight and Once recognizing again, that, right. you know, like he has to have positive male role models around him. not only you, but your two older brothers as well. And them also sharing that insight and making sure, you know, you do what you had to do as best as possible. So, man, thank you for that answer. That was that was beautiful. Um, Dr. Pitts. I, I know you've been uh, waiting to get in here and everything, and I know you're- Is she uh, going to tag team me? Is she going to tag team me? I said, she, she got a hand <laughs> Look, I, hey. my, my husband is texting me because he knows my head is about to pop smooth off. <laughs> but, but this is what I say. This, this is what I know to be true. This message is so important, and, and I'm never one of those people that blames everything on the devil or anything like that. But I know that I know that I know. And that's why I switched you to host that this message has to be heard because there's no explanation. Like this has never happened before, Sean. This is absolutely it's normally, it's normally my Wi-Fi that does this. It's crazy. So anyway, this is this is a question that I have for you. Sure. Based on your mother's insistence, one of the things that I speak to pretty frequently on this show is so many of our mothers, not all, but but we have many mothers that um, in, in my professional opinion and in my opinion as someone who was a single mother, they, they take a questionable stance, if you will, in the value or lack of value that they place on the importance of a strong man being present in their child's life. And they don't nurture that need for masculine influence properly. What would you say to that mother that is distorted, I'm, I'm being very PC here, that is distorted in her parenting style and thinking that she can teach her son how to be a man? You know what is, wow, wow. Okay, listen, 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 listen. When a boy 
and I'm not a PhD, you know, I, I, I'm just speaking from experience, okay? When a young boy does not have a, a man to call the king out of the kid, when, a, when he doesn't have that, in that cavity develops resentment and anger. It's there. It's there. Yes. And a yes. father, a man, a man has the ability to see past him in the moment and see him not at 70, but at 27 and at 37 and at 47. Okay. That man has the ability to call that out, to bring that out and to bring balance, to shape it. Oftentimes I see, and you know, please don't get offended, ladies. I see women break men at a young age instead of shape men there's a difference between shaping so when you see the rebellion you want to come in and smash it but i but 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 a father will see that rage and that anger like oh i can work with that right <laughs> I can men i can take that i can rechannel that i can direct men yeah they, it's we like have to be nurtured by men as much as our mothers are nurturing us you know it, we get that our moms are going to nurture us. They're going to care for us. We're going to be mommy's little boy, all that forever. But we have to have a man bring that man. Like you said, that king out of us, that nurturing out of us in a way that we know it is okay. I always tell people a lot of times as men, the one emotion that we know the best to express is anger. Like you talked about that anger, that defensiveness, that hurt. We know how to express that because we've never had those emotions nurtured in a way to be validated and know that we can be safe in our emotions. A lot of times we're taught that emotions make you weak, emotions make you vulnerable and soft. When that's, the, I always tell people that's the exact opposite of what happens. I am, I make myself vulnerable and weak by not knowing what emotions I'm feeling and how to work with them. Yeah. You know, and if I and if I don't have a man to help me nurture those feelings and just block them off. I always tell people when we block off our feelings, we put them off in a little box. We become a bottle of soda, not a bottle of water. Yes, yes, and and, and, and yeah. I'm ahead, sorry. No, oh, go oh, ahead. No, you and, got and, it. Go ahead. And 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 it will it will come out. Yeah. It it will explode in some of the most craziest, unexpected ways. Right. But to have that father, like you mentioned something earlier that just you know hit me, a mom can give the, the security aspect of it, right. but the dad gives the safety aspect of it. Yes. Safety yes. aspect is it's okay to fall and scrape your knee. It's okay yes. to be vulnerable. It's okay to lose and not be a loser. It's right. okay to handle these things, go through it. It's like, it is a huge balance that has to be met. And, and I'm going to share something that I really, in fact, I don't think I've ever shared in public. I own a security firm. So I have about a hundred, hundred plus employees. I can tell you within 20 seconds, I can tell you within 20 seconds when an applicant comes, if he has had a father in his life, he does. Hi, how are you shaking your hand sitting there? It is, it's almost as if there's like a spiritual pole going right down the middle of their spine. Like, man, the stability is there. The confidence is there. I said, there's no facade here. 
he has had a dad. And then, then after about a minute, like, tell me about your father. And then I ask, tell me about your relationship with your father. That is extremely important because if that relationship is messed up, angry, resentful, then there's a base of rebellion in this individual's life. And probably I won't hire you. Ooh, man, that, man, man, that's Ooh. deep. That's deep. <laughs> and, and that's, and that's real. You, and, and, you know, I I, I kind of specialize working with kids as a clinician and everything. And one okay, of the things okay, I yeah. always see and I always talk about is a lot of these boys that we see nowadays are so angry because you talked about it. You know, mothers provide us and help us guide and shape that emotional safety. And, you know, you know, oftentimes a lot of fathers don't get the credit of, yes, fathers help us establish physical safety, but it's important for fathers to help us establish that emotional safety within us, too. Being right. okay with being, you know, vulnerable or, you know, expressing emotions at certain times. You know, one of the things I've shared on the show before is that you talked about, you know, the relationships you have with fathers. Um, you know, the relationship me and my father had growing up is, you know, my father raised me and his way of respecting him was through fear. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that was how he saw it. My dad grew up at the end of the Jim Crow era. You know, he, he saw a lot of things in his childhood that shaped him and, and molded his perspective of how the world was. And he raised me through that lens. And, you know, yes, being physically safe and stuff like that, he provided that. I, I knew how to, you know, protect myself, how to defend myself when I had to. But one of the things that, you know, I didn't get that necessarily lesson from, and I had to learn, you know, on my own as a man, you know, in the real world was that emotional safety and that emotional vulnerability and that emotional maturity that I didn't get growing up. One of the things I really try to work with young men about is understanding that, you know, theoretically and ideally, when we talk about bridging the gap, Parents are supposed to help men and women bridge that gap on a physical, emotional, spiritual safety and, and, and grounding themselves. But when you don't get those tools and you turn 18, yes, by law, you're an adult, but that doesn't make you an adult in emotional maturity, physical no. maturity or anything like that. And so I always tell people when you become an adult, when you turn 18, it is your responsibility at that point to equip yourself with the resources and insight necessary to become emotionally mature enough to be able to navigate this world at times, because this world is chaotic. This world can be crazy. And if you allow yourself to succumb to it and continue to model the behaviors and things you saw growing up from those poor examples, those maladaptive ways of handling emotions, you too will continue that cycle until you realize that the person that you're waiting to change your fortune is you yourself. Yes. Yes. And, and, Coming from a, and this is kind of way, way, way left field here, but coming from a, a, from a manifestation metaphysical perspective, emotion is so powerful. Like yes. you can take a thought and you can mix that with emotion and it'll happen. And a lot of that comes from your heart. And for a man to not be able to fully express himself and be safe with yes. his with his emotion, it damages, it handicaps his ability to perform and excel in all facets of life, which I've seen happen because it's awesome in football, it's awesome in sports, but then how do you temper that in the workplace? How do you manage that with your family? How do you manage that with your wife? How do you manage that with your kids? You can't because it's not been modeled and you don't know how to turn it on, turn it off, modulate it, use it. So now it becomes a detriment to you instead of, instead of an asset to you. Right. 
Dr. Pitts, I know I, you got a question because I got a, I got a follow-up question. Uh, yeah. he, he said something I wanted to transition to, but go ahead, please. I, Sean, if you could real quick, what do you say to the young boy whose mother or parents or primary caregiver has not provided that emotionally safe space for them to be in, in right relationship with their emotional being? In other words, you have young boys and, and young men that come to you emasculated and right. because their parents are parenting from a wounded place in space. What do you say to that young boy or young man who, whose mother has told him his whole life that he's just like his sorry behind daddy and he's never going to be this and he's never going to be that and he's not going to be anything and who literally just verbally emotionally and at times physically just beats him to dust so she's the walking wounded the dad's the walking wounded and now the child is the walking wounded but they have an exorbitant amount of potential to be great what do you say to that child oh it's it's like there's like so much that is flowing through my mind right i don't know i don't know if i can pull it all out i'd say but, but i'm gonna make an attempt to first of all let's just create a safe space you're okay this happens this in fact the majority of men are going through this okay you're yes. okay and when you get through this not if you get through this but when you get through this okay you're going to be so much further ahead that you can help other men coming behind you because you understand the pain that's number one okay number two i'm going to ask you and this is not this is something that has helped me i'm going to use what has helped me is i need you to start documenting, I won't say journal because that's like more of like a feminine thing, right? I want you to start documenting your day, documenting your emotions, write them out, express them, right. get them out on paper. I don't care how long it takes, okay? It is a part of your curriculum. I am making this a part of your curriculum. You got 15 minutes a day that you got to dump. You got to dump, you got to offload, I okay? I, I, I need you to write this out. I need the date, I need the time, okay? Now, if you get to a Part to where you're stuck at, where you can't write anymore. Okay, circle that area. You might have to want to come back and revisit that and untangle that. And then I want you to go grab a mentor. I want you to find a male in your neighborhood that is positive, that is productive, that is really doing things. And I want you to look up to him or her because Believe it or not, young man, you are looking up to something or somebody. You are being mentored. And I don't know if it's a positive mentor is a negative mentor. That's not my judge. But I, here are here are the qualifications that I want you to look for. I want you to look for a male who is productive, a male who is positive, that is not in trouble. And then I just want you to watch him. I want you to ask him questions. And then if you're lucky enough, he might, you know, with the consent of the parents, you know, you know, you might want to, you know, learn how to change a tire learn how to do this and learn how to do that to kind of shape the way that you see him, which will in turn shape the way that you see you. And that's extremely important. Man, Sean, thank man, you are killing it, man. This insight is uh, invaluable. Um, you, you spoke about something earlier talking about, um, you know, being able to be your, your best version of a man, not only in your athletic view, but also in, in marriage and relationships. And I wanted to ask you, you said you've been married for 23 years. And, you know, for me, I'm coming up on five years in August. Um, and <laughs> so, you know, I, I'm fresh in the game from, you know, from your perspective. So as a man, you know, and, and coming from a single parent household, 
in a relationship terms, how did you bridge the gap in learning how to become a man in a relationship? You know, well, not necessarily because not becoming a man in a relationship because you, you know, we have to, you know, be, you know, be able to do those things for ourselves before we expect somebody else to give those things to us. But how did you learn how to become, you know, boyfriend, fiance, and husband and make it 23 years and counting as a as a husband? Fight. You have to fight. You have to fight to become what you've been called. And it's a fight. Oftentimes, year you know six, seven, eight, nine, all the year thirteen, people are like you know what? I give up. I give up on this fight. It's, you know, it's so easy to step out of a situation. So easy to step out of a marriage. It takes a fight as a man. You got to fight, man. It's like no, I am not giving up. No, I'm not going to hang out and do other things and find other escapes. I'm gonna stay in this until the pressure in me becomes greater than the pressure that's around me. I'm going to fight for this. That's number one. Number two, you got to fight right. You got to know how to fight. You know, <laughs> you know, because you should be throwing haymakers instead of jabs. You can get knocked out. So guess what? You're gonna get some counseling. <laughs> You're gonna get some mentorship. And this is a different type of mentor, okay? Because on this level, a mentor is a tormentor, right? So it's like, he's like, he ain't, he, he, bad boy, he's calling you out. He's, he's, he's actually pushing you. He's actually encouraging you in this. Now, this one right here is this next one is, is where you have to pull in and you got to have an honest conversation with yourself in an honest conversation with your spouse say listen i wasn't raised with this i don't and right. and and i know that the feminine is calling for the masculine okay so you're going to have to help me you're going to have to roll with me and you're going to have to dwell in your feminine energy and you're going to have to call me out when i'm not flowing in my masculine energy it's extremely important that you got to bring everybody on board with this. Like, look, I'm struggling. Like when I first got married, bro, I was like, cut the, I mean, I, I will see all the older men out there doing yard work for like 12 hours, man. I'm like, I ain't, I, <laughs> I ain't doing that. I would see the fathers, man, playing catch with their sons. And I'm like, that, man, I, that ain't. No, that, that I, it's, it's like a kickstart. I, I had to keep doing it. I had to keep fighting at it. Keep like, Come on, son. And man, there was a season, man, where it's like I saw my son as my competitor, you know, be, because I kind of like stepped out and I, you know, I just kind of like, you know, I'm here. And then now that caused a, a huge, a huge, you know, a huge disturbance to where I had to come back, reinsert myself in there, fight for that role, because I knew if I did not, it was going to damage my boy. So now I'm right. fighting for him. I'm fighting for his kids now, baby. I got to step back in that bad boy, and I had to just keep fighting. Okay, I'm supposed to play catch with you, and I'm supposed to be at the games, and I'm supposed to. So finally, around the 10th grade, it kicked in. This has not been too long ago. It, it just really kicked in that I could flow in that role with him. And now I can flow in the masculine with her to where now, man, he, some stuff I saw, I was kind of really concerned about. He straightened out. He's a sophomore at the university of Kentucky. Uh, he's awesome. A, he's, a, he's a like RA. He's doing absolutely wonderful. And I'm still, I'm still fighting as a husband. I'm still fighting as a husband to flow in the masculine energy. I don't want to get too, you know, crazy, but it's almost like role playing, you know what I'm saying? It's like, hey, 
It's like, this is who I am. This is what I do. And if, and if I'm a man, if I'm a male and a man and willing, eventually it's going to kick in because it's programmed into my DNA. Man, man, thank you for that. I, I, I can't, I can't tell you when you talked about being in those seasons and fighting, man. Um, you know, I, I really appreciate that. And, and you know, um, T.D. Jakes had a line in a sermon one time. He said, you know, I can make you man and wife in 30 seconds, but it'll take you 30 years to become one. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, mm -hmm. um, I, I don't want to, you know, label you and Dr. Pitts as, you know, the the older generation. But you made a you made a great you made a great point, Sean, about how how easily people give up the fight. And from yeah, my generation yeah. and people my age and younger, I can't tell you how many times I come across young couples, especially young men. Um, who are over-sexualized, you know, hypersexualized, where, you know, you're exposed to pornography and, you know, you're trying to, you know, be an adult as a teenager. And a lot of times they don't understand because they don't see those examples of home of how to really treat, you know, the other sex, how, how a man should treat a woman, how a woman should treat a man, you know, as men, you know, how you should have manners, how you should be respectful. And, you know, especially when it comes to consent and things like that, a lot of times we don't have those examples. And to your point, every time, you know, crap hit the fan, they're ready to say, you know, F this, I'm out, you know, this ain't worth it. And you also made another great point too about, you know, a lot of times from my generation, the one of the things I always hear is how there's this expectation of, you know, your partner should be complete by the time they meet you. And I always say like, you know, so what I hear, you know, what <laughs> you, you, you see how, you know, it's laughable at times, but you know, society has painted this picture and not necessarily society so much as social media. Um, and I don't know how much you dabble on social media per se, but one of the things social media has really done, it is it's exacerbated and, you know, really made this idea of perfection almost like it's like it's an obtainable goal. And we know to be true that anytime perfection is the goal, you'll fail every single time. It's not about being perfect. It's about being the best version of yourself in that moment as you possibly can be while you know that there's still room to grow. And a lot of times, and especially younger people feel like, well, I wanna grow with you, but I can't fix you. And a lot of times it's not about fixing, it's about being able to have that space and that support to allow that person to fix themselves within that relationship. And a lot of times younger people don't get that message. They don't understand that it's not about fixing the other person, it's about being there and supporting them in a way that can allow them to have that space to fix themselves and show you that they can be the best version of themselves within this relationship. So I'm mm -hmm. glad you made that point about fighting and fighting the good fight and fighting fair. You know, that's mm -hmm. important too. I mean, a lot of times, you know, you made a great point about, you know, premarital counseling, marriage counseling and things like that, having a mentor, you know, especially having, um, you know, especially friends who don't give you, you know, biased opinions, you know, seeking opinions from single friends or people who have, you know, estranged marriages or affairs in their marriage and things like that. So I really appreciate you making that point because a lot of young men really need to hear that, yes, marriages work. I always tell people like, you know, that honeymoon phase for me and my wife, that ran out within like the first few months. And then we were left with the reality of, look, we said forever and forever is a mighty long time. But a lot of times we don't realize how long forever is. I was 25 when I said I do. And mm. God willing, if I'm if I live to see, you know, 75, 80, that's damn near 60 years of being committed to one person and fighting this fight with one person. A lot of people don't understand it's an everyday commitment. It's an everyday waking up saying, you know what, I'm going to recommit to you. I'm going to give you the best version of myself possible. So I really appreciate you sharing that message. I think the greatest attack on marriage today is narcissism. Mm. Mm. 
narcissism and having a myopic mindset to say, this is where I'm at. Where do I see myself six months from now? I cannot believe I'm going to still be with you six months from now. The moment your vision and the moment your sight begins to constrict and shrink, you're in, I mean, you're in trouble. One of the things that I mentioned is that I'm fighting not just for this man. I'm fighting for my boy now. Right. Okay. I'm fighting right. for his line. I'm because my mom and dad didn't make it, although I have a very sweet after story with my dad because he came back to work at our company for 20 years. Right. Mm -hmm. But, awesome. oh, man, it, dude, he's like, I'm, I'm sorry, in mail. He's like, he raised me all over again. It was crazy. It was, it was absolutely crazy. But, but um, it's like, I'm fighting for his line. I'm fighting for his name. Everybody from the Harpers for the last hundred years was divorced, broken homes. And, and now my son, which was, which was so, so amazing. He took a test, right? Because I'm really, you know, big into like internal, external locus of control and things like that. Right. And his strongest, his actual strongest internal locus of control area was in relationships. Amen. Because he Amen. saw mom and dad make it. He's like, oh, there's no doubt in my mind that, that me and my wife, we're going to make it. I'm like, there it is. That's so I want to I wanna add a, ask a question that sure. sort of coheses what you both have shared. What role does humility and vulnerability play in bridging the performance and the relationship gaps. It's like steak and potatoes. It's like, it's, it's men, men have to be vulnerable. They have to be willing to lay, excuse my terms, to just lay naked and say, this is where I'm at. Unfortunately, without that modeling growing up, we don't have that. Right. And so we have to be tough. We have to be the cavemen, okay? Because I said something earlier. It's like, we will model somebody. So we're right. going to either model the man or we're going to model the gangbanger or, or the tough mm -hmm. guy on TV. It's mm -hmm. like, we will model somebody. So guess what? How many times a tough guy on TV, mm -hmm. right? That you see him break down and just be, completely 100% transparent. If you look at the models of the actual American movie is here's the male, here's the antagonist, something happens, mm -hmm. he, a girl along the quest, he kills a whole bunch of people, he gets the girl at the end and the police come. There is no room for emotion of weakness and vulnerability. Now I'm gonna say this, right? And then I need to flip it as well because our ladies, man, I, listen, I was going to ask you, Sean, I was going to say, I need y'all to share your perspective listen, on what you need from us. It's a barn burner. I'm throwing gasoline listen, on the fire. What listen, do y'all need from us? What do you women, need from us? The women, women, if they only understood their power, their power, we have vision, but y'all are the incubators. Okay. Y'all. I can take my seed and give it to you. And it's like, you can turn it into something, give it back and I'll raise it. And that is what the enemy is so afraid of. He's afraid of the power that you possess. And so what's happened is that the enemy has turned the magnets against each other because he's scared of the off seed that will come as a result. 
give us space. Give us space to be vulnerable. Give us space to be weak. Give us space to fall and not look at us another way or look at us right. as weak. Okay. I tell my son, don't get mad at me, guys. I tell my son, I said, son, this is the jungle. You got to understand when it comes to relationships, we are in the jungle. I said, and the female lion loves the alpha male. The female lion loves the male that's going to give the safety and the security. And when she sees weakness, it says to her inside that I cannot depend on you or trust you because you won't be there. So now I have to assume the masculine alpha role and run with it. But deep inside, she wants the safety and the security of that male. So A, son, boy, man up, be that guy. But then at the same time, women, give us a chance to fall, scrape our knees, be weak, break down, come alongside. Keep us in position. Keep us in position. Don't take the position. You put us back into position. So when we're in a boxing match and when we're fighting, going round for round, when we come to the corner, when we come to the corner, what I don't need is for you to tell me how horrible I am in the field. Mm -hmm. What I don't need mm -hmm. is for you to say, you know, you suck, you doing this, you this and this, and you ain't no man. You That's the worst thing you can say. What mm -hmm. I do need for you to say is, hey, lift up your jab a little bit. Let me put a little Vaseline mm -hmm. on your face. Okay. Mm -hmm. I see your weaknesses. I see that you're a little scared, but baby, mm -hmm. you do it. Get back out there. Because trust me, ladies, you don't want to fight this fight. You mm -hmm. don't want to. You can't mm. fight this fight. You ain't made to fight this fight. We mm -hmm. built for this, but we mm -hmm. need you. We need right. you. I got to speak to that clinically because, <laughs> Sean, one of the things that, um, that I'm notorious for, infamous for, and that gets me in trouble sometimes is the level of accountability that I place on women to know their place. And I, I attribute that issue, I attribute that problem, I attribute that, that dysfunction to the fact that, and I'm going to speak directly to our communities, mm -hmm. so many of us were raised by strong Black women. But the problem with that ideology is this. There's a difference between being a strong Black woman and being a woman of strength. The woman of strength knows humility. The woman of strength knows that she can't be a man. The woman of strength recognizes that though there may have been times that she's had to wear the proverbial skirt and pants, she's still not a man. And you can't teach a man how to be a man. You can't teach your daughter how to be treated by a man. You can only teach your daughter how to behave the way a decent, respectable young lady and girl should behave. The problem holistically is that people are the walking wounded. We have so much breakdown in our nuclear families, in our communities, in our homes, that people don't realize that by design, they have taken on roles that they were never purposed and predestined to take on in the first place. So now we have disorder. Well, what does the word of God tell us about disorder? God is a God of war. So it's God, it's the husband, man, it's the wife and then the children. But for some women, that word submit is a cuss word because they're taking it out of context because they don't understand the true meaning of what it means to submit. So to your point, 
you have to know who and what you're submitting to. You cannot emasculate, you cannot belittle, degrade, and demean and think that someone is going to protect, provide, and preserve for you the way they've intended when they're getting beat up, kicked around, trampled upon, spat upon, and treated like less than a dog when they come home. People have to know what their role is. And so oftentimes what I'm finding personally, professionally, clinically, is that people don't know their role. People are, are the walking wounded. There's attachment issues. They are insecurely attached. So they're fearful. They're dismissive. They're so terrified of being hurt that they're trying to be the man and the woman in the relationship to their own detriment. And then they want to point the finger to your point. You talk about internal and external locus of control. They want to look externally. And what I say to folks, and this was the theme all week, Ronnie, I didn't have a chance to tell you this. This was my theme all week. I asked every single one of my clients this week within my couples, based on who you are and how you are today, would you want your son or your daughter to bring you home and say, mama or daddy, this is the person that I'm going to marry. And I had every single solitary couple that I worked with, everybody said, hell no, I wouldn't want my child to bring me home, except for one person that was like, well, yeah. And I said, you're delusional. <laughs> with everything that you've disclosed to me, I keep going on, with everything that you've disclosed to me about how you think, feel, function, and navigate this thing called life, you'd be okay with your daughter bringing home a dude that acts like you? Get out of here. No, you wouldn't. That can be a template because if you wake up every day, for those that are believers, for those that are committed to being who God has purposed and predestined you to be, if you wake up every day with it purposed in your heart, mind, spirit, and soul to be a better version of yourself today than you were the day before, if you purpose it in your heart, mind, spirit, and soul to be someone that if your child brought you home, you would say, oh, baby, you did good. You have my permission. You have my approval to marry this person. This person is your life partner. You are what? Equally yoked. Then maybe yes. we can talk about something. Yes. But if you can't have that conversation, Houston, you got a problem. Yes. Queens, queens, women, queens, listen to me. We can't do it without you. Right. Plain and simple. That is, that is a message that has been uh, secretly dispatched within our communities. It's like, oh, you can do it. You can have it. I'm like, at what cost? We cannot do it. We can't dominate without you. We can exist without you, but we can't dominate without you. So I'll prove it like this, okay? Uh, and Ronnie, you were an offensive lineman, right? Yes, sir. Um, I'm an offensive lineman, right? So how many times after the game did we walk straight from the locker room to the car with maybe one or two autographs and no one really even knew who we were? I, I, well, I can tell you on the over under for autographs, it was way under because I didn't sign that one autograph. So <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. and I'm, Nobody. I'm, I like where you're going with this because I had a question related to you being an office alignment. But yeah. please go first. I man, Nobody. Man. Nobody knows who we are. I mean, we're we are on the field right in. Listen, there is nobody nobody can name the five starting offensive linemen on their favorite NFL or, or collegiate team. Maybe two percent. Nobody knows who we are. We're right there at the same time. But if we're not in position, listen, if we're not in position, the running back can't get to the hole. 
Right. If we're not doing what we're supposed to do, the quarterback cannot throw that ball. I don't care if he's Peyton Manning. You got Peyton Manning playing whoever, Tom Brady. It doesn't matter. It, Watson, it doesn't matter. If you don't have a line in play, it doesn't matter. It's not receiver. You're not going to catch the ball. The game doesn't happen unless the linemen are in position. We as a people, we will break down. We are breaking down. We are broke down because we are not in position and we have not embraced our position. We bought into some great marketing telling the sisters who they are, what they should do, what their dreams are. And we bought into some great marketing on who the man is and what he should do and what he and basically what his worth is. It's marketing. Marketing from the highest levels. I'm not going to get in trouble right here, but it's all it is. And you got to break that and you got to get out of today. Get out of your life. Get out of your time and look at your kids, kids. And that's how you win. Man, that was the, you also made a, a great point, too, about, you know, at what cost does a man have success with nobody to share it with? And oddly enough, I was watching a podcast yesterday with the Kelsey brothers, uh, Travis and Jason Kelsey. They actually had Shannon Sharp on there as a guest. And yeah. they, asked, they asked him at the end of it, what would you tell your rookie self if you had a chance to talk to him? And he pondered on it for a minute. And he said, man, you know, honestly, like with all the success I've had, he's like, I gave every ounce of myself from 19 years old all the way for, I think, I think 17 years later, you know, through his NFL career. And he said, if the one thing I could tell myself as a rookie in the NFL would be, all the success you're going to achieve means absolutely nothing if you have nobody to share it with. Yeah. So I'm glad I'm glad you made that point because yeah. for every successful man, he has to have a successful and supportive woman behind him. Because like yeah. you said, we can go far alone, but we can go forever with somebody with us. And I'm glad you made that point because a lot of men don't understand how valuable an asset it is to have a supportive woman on your side who can help you achieve and manifest your dreams and get to where you're trying to get to. Because I've been in the asset. Yeah. It can also be a liability and vice versa too. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I've been in, I've been in business for 20, 25 years. And I've, I used to go to certain meetings with people of the other color. Okay. Mm -hmm. Older people. And I was trying to do business with this man for, and he would not do business with me. He, he, I mean, I was just like, hi, he, he wouldn't even look at me, wouldn't even touch me. Till one day I went to the meeting and my wife was with me. And he said hi to me and he took, uh, he looked at my wife for like seven to eight seconds. And basically to make a long story short, short he's like, now let's do business. And I asked him, I said, I said what was it? He said, I need to see how you're treating her. And I need to see how she's treating you because it's because a lot of it is coming from her. And it's like, and if she's broke down, if she ain't inputting in your life, you know, that's the real boss right there. He said, I can't do business with you until I meet her. I was like, I said, man, oh man, oh man. I said, I got that's it. Powerful. I got that's it. Powerful. That's yeah. cool. I have one more question about about bridging the gap. And then I had a couple quick fire questions to get off before we wrap up. And I know Dr. Piss probably has a couple questions and more insight uh, as well. Um, but my final question is regarding to the topic is, so we talked about being offensive linemen. He talked about how, you know, 
for basically the entirety of the game, we go unnoticed. The only time we get noticed is if there's a false start holding, you know, or, you know, we don't, you, we don't give up a sack. That's the only time we get noticed in the entirety of a game. But I think I always say this, you know, and, and you can call it bias, whatever you want to, but I also feel like being an offensive lineman is the most important position on the entire football field. And I think being an offensive lineman is as close to what it means to relate to being a, a, a man, a mature, emotionally mature, physically mature man. Because like you said, it's not about you. Being an offensive lineman, whether you accept it or not, it is not about you. It is about us. And even as offensive lineman, it is a set of five of you who have to move as one. We talk about relationships, two yes. people moving as one. As yes. offensive linemen, we have to know what it's like to have five people, sometimes six. And hell, if you go jumbo seven, five to seven people moving as one in synchrony, in unison, communicating, nonverbal, verbal communication, in the moment, after the moment. How did those skills, all those skills you learned as being a lineman, how did you translate? How did you translate those skills into the real world, into the business world? And what would you say to the linemen out there who feel like, you know, yeah, you might be a nobody to the masses and things like that, but how do you embrace the enroller being so important behind the scenes and how you can translate that to the real world? <clears throat> you know what? You're right. Selfishly speaking, the offensive lineman is 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 the far superior position. Uh, for a number of reasons. One is, is that we have to be uh, aggressive moving forward and protective moving backwards, depending on the player. That's, that's, Talk about it. That's two different sets of strength. It, you know, it's one thing to, to uh, oh man, what's what I'm thinking about? There's one thing to uh, have, have strength is another to have endurance. There's two different right. types of energy, right? You push forward or the, or, or you protect. Yeah, yeah. That's number one. Number two, it is absolute control chaos. You know, you go off for five seconds, you got to shut it down and you got to walk back to the other players. They get to keep going until they get tackled. No, we got to shut it down. It's controlled right. chaos. What I would speak to as far as the actual offensive lineman there is, is, is that, um, Win-win. And what I mean by that is, in, it's actually a law. It's a spiritual law. And a spiritual law is that you create big wins, then the wins will automatically come back to you. Okay, sowing and reaping. You commit, you, you actually create a big win, a big hole for your running back. And then guess what? When it's all said and done, might not be by the fans, might not be by the press. He's going to get all the interviews, but in the meeting, they're going to be like, hey, the win comes back to you. And you have to learn how to, you got to, you got to tune your appetite and your taste bud and your palate to the second win and not the first win. You got to say, hey, hey, yeah, yeah, this this right here is the gristle of the ribeye that I really want. This piece right here. And so I got to change. I got to reconfigure that. So that is my encouragement to, you know, the actual lineman. How does help me in life? I tell you what, it's all about teamwork. It's all, it's all about teamwork. The greatest organizations exist because of teams. You know, we talk about Bill Gates. Everyone knows who Bill Gates is, but who is Paul Allen? his teammate from his entire life, Warren Buffett, who is his partner, Charlie. No one talks about Charlie, okay? But he was for 54 years, you know? Right. 
uh, uh, daggone George Clinton. Yay. Well, who's Maceo Parker? You know, who is Boosie Collins? You know, being able to assemble and to build teams. And unfortunately, they don't teach that in our school system until you get to the master's degree level. Is how to create and to facilitate and to nurture amazing teams. And that's how you win. So break it back down to the home and to the life. It is a team. It is a team. And the closer this team works, you move from, from just energy, you move to what's called, as offensive lineman would say, you move to synergy with the same step and the same reach and the same punch. Now you can move two or three or four, maybe 10 times, one gets in a thousand, two gets in 10,000, moving in agreement. Moving in agreement is one of the most powerful spiritual forces and spiritual laws in the universe. And that's what the enemy hates, agreement. Thank you, thank you. Dr. Piz, I'm gonna let you go because I just had one more uh, question for you, I'm gonna let you go. <laughs> You're gonna get in trouble. You're gonna get in trouble. I'm <laughs> getting the questions in. I'm feeling that all the way over here. <laughs> go, ahead and, go ahead and answer the question. I was just gonna say, you know, um, as we wrap up, what's your, uh, what's your favorite athletic career moment? It could be, collegiate or professional what's your favorite you know career moment that you have as a uh, football player collegially when we were down 20 listen we were down 21 to 0 uh indiana playing wisconsin and our head coach had gotten suspended for the game because he mouthed off against the refs and he got suspended and we went into wisconsin and we were down 21 to 0 but without our head coach there uh, we were able to pick up the actual leadership, come back and win. That was awesome. Oh, oh thank you, man. Thank you for sharing. Dr. Pitts, go ahead and, and, and close us out um, after you uh, finish up. So my husband said to tell you, Sean, that he hopes you'll come back for another show. Um, Done. Done. Your, your words yes. have been very, very powerful. This this definitely epitomizes what a, burn, a barn burner looks like. I mean, it has just been... The energy is through the roof. And I, and like I said, I don't, you know, I'm not somebody that blames the enemy for everything or whatever the case may be, but I think this, this show has been by far one of the most powerful shows that we've yes. ever done. And we've been doing this for five years as, as house talk holistically. And then for three years, as house talk pregame. And we've had some powerful, amazing guests, but, but your energy your words of wisdom and encouragement, your vulnerability and your transparency is, is beyond anything that, that we've ever experienced here on this show. Um, you all talked about, you know, the O-line and the whole nine yards. And, and um, Ronnie did really, really good today, Sean, because he takes every available opportunity to take cheap shots at me about my <laughs> oh, no. love. He does, Sean, he does. Because everybody knows that I live, breathe, and die Dallas Cowboys and have since oh, I was three years old. Thank Wait, you. Sean, I'm about to give you some love. Thank listen, you. Listen, 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 listen. I'm about to give you some love. I swear. I swear. I swear. So your, your amazing Indianapolis Colts, you talk about the O-line and the running back not being able to do what he needs to do. Jonathan Taylor and I are from the same hometown. We graduated from Salem High School in Salem, New Jersey. I didn't have the distinct pleasure of teaching JT when he came after I stopped teaching at the high school. Um, but what an amazing, amazing gift and talent that the Colts have in Jonathan Taylor. 
And so I just wanted to make sure that I showed him some love, that I showed your Indianapolis cult some love. Um, and there truly, there aren't enough words to thank you for joining us today and just adding so much fire to this topic, to this discussion. Um, we're giving you a key to the house. Yes. You got a key to the front door, the back door, the side door. You got your own garage door opener. We hope that um, your schedule will permit for you to come back and join us again um, next season. Those topics go up in July and I will definitely, with your permission, sir, um, I, I, I want to have you back on the show again. Oh, yeah, and, and, yeah. and I'm excited. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ronnie. I'll let you give the final thought before my internet goes out again, which like I said, has never, ever happened. Like it's happened today. It's crazy. Yeah, man. Uh, man, Sean, you know, one of the things that people always say about me and Dr. Pitts is that, you know, sometimes we're always on the same wavelength. And I promise you, one of the first things I was going to text after we finished the show was like, this is easily one of the top five shows we've done in 120 episodes, man. And I said at the beginning of the show, man, just how you just meeting you when we first logged on, your enthusiasm and your passion, man, jump right out through the screen, man. And, and I always love men who can have that enthusiasm and that vulnerability and just that authenticity of what it's like to just be the best version of themselves, man. And, and like Dr. Pitt said, your insight and, and the things you shared today, man, are invaluable. I, I can't thank you enough just as a, a former athlete and just as a man in this world for the insight you share with me personally, professionally, and relationally, uh, what you shared today, man. Thank you so much. And I hope that this message really can touch other people and other young men who are out there listening, you know, to really, you know, come into yourself and really bridge those gaps, break those generational cycles, break those generational curses yeah, that are sometimes yeah. our families are entrapped in. And, and you are a walking testimony to that. And, and once again, we really thank you. And, and it's an honor to have you share that testimony and that story today. As we get ready to close out, man, let the people know how they can reach you, how they can find you, sure. your business endeavors, all that. So my website is seanharperwins.com. S-H-A-W-N-H-A-R-P-E-R-W-I-N-S.com. Okay. And if you go to seanharper.co, seanharper.co, uh, you can get an actual free copy of my book. And I'm going to do something that I've never, ever done, ever done. Uh, <clears throat> if there's a single mom out there and she uh, is struggling, I'm going to try to get her a free copy of my book. I actually have a book that's not even out yet. It's called The Winologist, you know, but you're going to have to look it up. You got to you know, get a hold of me, go to my website and get that information, but I'm gonna get you a free copy of my book signed. I wanna open up that as an actual resource. And I just wanna encourage the single moms out there. And I wanna encourage the young men out there. Say guys, hey, I know it's hard. I know you're like a bat that's blind trying to find your, your actual identity through image versus identity, which is dangerous. One is external, one is internal but keep fighting, fight the right fight, fight to win. And I believe in you. God bless you. Man, man, thank you, Sean, man. Thank you so much, man. We, we definitely put word out there. Um, thank you for that, man. Thank you for, uh, you know, wanting to bless somebody. Um, you, you blessed all of us today with your insight, man. Once again, thank you so much, Sean. We really appreciate you joining us today. <laughs> 
that's it for episode 120, you all. Check us back next week, next Saturday, same time, same place. <clears throat> if you haven't already, please like and subscribe to our channel. You can find it under Dr. Lauren Pitts on YouTube. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any other platform you enjoy uh, podcasts on. Thank you again. Have a great day. Be blessed. Thank you. Thank you.